Welcome back to the podcast where we rock and roll our way through the film American Graffiti one song at a time. I'm your DJ host thing. <laughs> we came up with the concept, but it still feels awkward to say. I'm Tierney Steele, and I have a guest with me again today. Please welcome Nick Jimenez. Hello. So, Nick, you are from the Dueling Genre Network, which has about approximately 7 million podcasts. So please let me know where you consider yourself to be from. (laughs) It feels like it. Uh, Yeah, I'm the host of a Doctor Who podcast called The Doctor's Companion. We've been rolling for a while, and uh, we just we just started our, our latest season. So that's kind of like our main focus. My, my main focus in my heart right now has been the Doctor's Companion. That's, yeah, I've done multiple projects at a time, and you always feel a little weird being like, well, this is the one that is taking up all my time, so I'm going to plug <laughs> that. But I swear, like, yeah. I love all my podcasts equally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what everyone needs to be watered right now. And so you're joining us for the episode where we're going to talk about... Well, we're going to talk about Car Salesman. That's going to be interesting. And the song Fannie Mae, not about mortgages. But at the very beginning of this, I realized, because I just went by the, it's not captions. There is actually a setting on the Blu-ray where you can set it to tell you what song is playing. Oh, really? Which is very useful when you're going to do a podcast broken up by song. And so I cut this based on when they said Fannie Mae started playing. And having watched this clip many, many times, I can tell you, I could have just left these few seconds with John and Carol on the last episode. Oh. But welcome. You start off in John's car. So uh, <laughs> let's uh, really quickly see if you had any history with American Graffiti before I dumped you into this fancy no, hot rod. <laughs> it, it was it was definitely on my list of shame, you know? It's like been on TV. Do you remember when you would like channel surf? Oh. <laughs> And so it would be like, oh, this is on Turner Classic Movies. But then I would really be watching like, I don't know, like Lost or what, I don't know. And I would be going back and forth. But I've never like sat down and properly watched it until uh, you invited me to be on the show. So I was really excited. Yay. What did you think overall? Oh, I loved it. it it's oh, it's good. it's a weird blank spot because I'm a self, I kind of, you know, there's that, that subgenre of like one crazy night movies. Mm-hmm. Like this, Days and Confused, Can't Hardly Wait. And this is like, you know, like the Rosetta Stone. This is like the, you know, the founding of that whole genre. And like, I love needle drops and, you know, of course, like I love Star Wars. And so, yeah, it was, it was cool finally getting to, to watch it and getting to kind of see, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's like when you find out that you have like a favorite band, but you've never listened to like their first album. I like that because it's so different from most of what Lucas did with his career. It is. And it yet is. it's such a George Lucas, like no one else could have made this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like the first, the first similarities that I found were, you know, the, the friendship, the Ron Howard character and the Richard Dreyfus characters to me reminded me a lot of like Luke and Biggs. Where, mm. like, you know, Luke wants to get out of Tatooine. He wants to see the universe. He wants to get out there, just like Ron Howard wants to get out of the valley and see the world. And Han Solo's in it. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't remember which episode I brought this up in, so I'll just re say it here just in case. Um, George Lucas did consider having Paul Lamont read for Han Solo. You know, thought really? he did a great job here as John Milner. And let's face it, they're very cut from the same cloth. It's, yeah, there's almost like a weird kind of like fever dream. Like, like some Harrison like saw his, this guy and lost to him and was like, I'm going to adopt this guy's persona. <laughs> 
But also dice, because everyone <laughs> claimed it. Because the whole thing with Solo is like, oh, yeah, the dice, like in American Graffiti. And it's like, that wasn't Harrison Ford's card, car, guys. Yeah, that's that was someone cool. else's car. But okay, sure. A that's a Star Wars thing car. now. <laughs> I am very thrown off because. I have watched the screen test for Mackenzie Phillips and Paul Lamott, and it's them doing this scene like seven times in a row. Uh, weird. Wow. On, on the one hand, it's hilarious because he is rocking the most 70s sideburns and mustache and hair that you ever did see. And they're in a modern car. Oh, like, okay, yeah. So they're in like a T-bird, uh, you know. Like uh, a 72 T-bird. Yeah, doing this. And it originally had a little bit more where he's like, my name is Mud. And she goes, oh, nice to meet you, Mr. Mud. My name's Carol. <laughs> Just so, like, I kind of wonder if they didn't want us to linger on, Carol got in a car. She does not know who this man is. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting chunk of the movie because it's, like, it's getting impossible to think about, like, when this was normal. Mm. You know? Like, my parents were 11 and 12 when this when this movie takes place in 62. Okay. But I'd be, like, I, when I was watching this last night, I wanted to, like, oh, I want to find out if that really happened. If people would just, like, bop cars as social to socialize and stuff mm-hmm. in like small towns yeah because it you're right this would not <laughs> no yeah this goes against so many decades of instincts that have been ingrained into, <laughs> into young women and people it's like please don't do this but what i do love is in that little exchange when he does finally say he's like my name's john milner or however he says it, she goes, oh, that's much better. Carol Mudd would have sounded awful. And it just (laughs) really emphasized to me what a, like, young teenage girl she is. Where even if, just automatically, you're like, I wonder how my name would sound with this name. Yeah, it's like, you realize it isn't so much that she wanted to get in the car. It's that you can imagine the other girls are like, oh my God, get your sister out of here right now. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) This was an absolute opportunity for them. We are not going to be able to, like, it's the last night of summer, you know? Mm -hmm. And I genuinely don't know how to feel about this bit of trivia. And I debated including it, but I saw enough places that, and it makes enough sense that, of course, uh, John Milner is named after John Milius. (laughs) This is Buddy. That does make sense. Uh (laughs) Of course. It was one of those things where it's like, of course. I mean, they were all hanging out together. And I have to like, the same way you said, like, it's almost getting hard to imagine this. I have to keep reminding myself that like, Luke, like, and not even just Lucas, because I don't actually know that deeply. But like, being a Republican in 1972 did not mean what it means now. Oh, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. I mean, I think if you were going to find any example, (laughs) he's pretty up there. But all these people were just hanging out together. They all just were writing each other's movies and visiting each other's sets and doing each other's second direction stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you see the the opening. It's like a Lucasfilm slash Coppola production. And then like you see Dreyfus in here and then Harrison Ford. Yeah, it's like this weird crossing station of all of these different things that are about to happen. Yeah, it, it is like going to a high school. And like, even if you're not <laughs> friends with these people, you see them all the time. Yeah. And all the little groups, like there's always someone who overlaps. So eventually you can connect everyone. Yeah, yeah. There is always like, well, this kid, uh, he is in football, but he also has friends in band or he also yeah. has friends in theater. Oh, no, oh sorry. Uh, the, the, there's a really good documentary about John Milius. And that's kind of where I learned the lion's share of, you know, this that larger than life character that he is. I don't know if it's streaming anymore. But I think it's definitely worth checking out. Nice. It's one of those things like the more I read, the more I was like, I'm just going to stop. 
Okay. I'm kidding. I've heard enough. But one person who definitely stuck to his high school lane was Terry the Toad, a.k.a. Charles Martin Smith, driving around in Steve's car, trying to show off. I will say one thing that I really love is I looked up the lyrics to the song that's playing, Mm -hmm. and the first line is like, I want somebody, tell me what's wrong with me. (laughs) And I feel like from what we've seen of Toad driving around, and in the script in the earlier scene where like he gets mooned and stuff, Mm -hmm. it says, and I, I think the actor does a pretty good job portraying this, that Toad is driving around thinking like, but I have the cool car now why is this still happening to me yeah that's great that's totally what i got yeah this is just this whole accident it's just cringe city like every step of the way it really is um one of my favorite movies of all time is greece and mm-hmm. i used to watch that a lot growing up as a kid and so i was finding like toad reminds me a lot of the character in greece called e- eugene but mm. like much more grounded like greece is a cartoon <laughs> yes. and and this really does feel like, oh, like, yeah, I can see the humanity in these, what were, what were caricatures in something like Greece. I can see like, oh, these are, these feel like real people that George Lucas like went to school with or knew. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of composite people that he actually knew going on here. And I like that, you know, like I, I remember Toad and I knew people like Toad and I remember being the kids that were like the weird kid, but then also like the sadness. I I, I love that George Lucas like lets you feel like, yeah, like you said, like, oh, I thought it was going to be different. I got the car. Yeah. And it This is going to change everything. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. And the audience is like, oh, that I felt like, like that, like that little nerd has. I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, for listeners keeping track at home, what we do is we see Toad at a red light. He's next to, I believe, again, I'm going off of people who know a lot more about cars than I do. 1956 Ford Fairline Victoria, Fairlane Victoria. I I have obviously not done this while about to drag race someone, (laughs) but this awfulness of seeing the turn light turn green and automatically starting to go and then having to be like, just kidding. Yeah. I still have the red light. (laughs) Also, on the other side of the Toad's car is a beetle. So if you were my sister, you'd be punching my arm right now, and my parents would be yelling at us to stop it. Yeah, the slug bug game. Oh, see, uh, you would yell out the color punch buggy, no punchbacks. Oh, see, and we we called Hmm. it slug bug yellow or slug bug green. That's what we would say. I I love that this sounds like someone was trying to teach their kids colors and it went horribly awry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, kids punch each other when they see beetles. Apparently a a universal in this country experience. The dream of Volkswagen. Yeah. Because have you always lived in California? I realized I don't actually know. Oh, no. Yeah. I was was born in Texas. And so I don't know if that's... Slug bug is like colloquial or was colloquial in Texas. Mm. Um, but now I, now I live sort of where the movie takes place in, in, in the valley. And I was, it's, it was really cool seeing all the things that kind of still look the same. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm going to mention, I went down a huge rabbit hole of trying to look up things in San Rafael, apparently is how you say it. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, I'm not finding it. Is that just because it doesn't exist now or because it never existed? Right. So the accident happens against, and I have to say, I love that in this universe, even stuffy grownups have cool cars. <laughs> because in the, you know, when George Lucas was writing the story, he's like, yeah, and he backs into a Buick. Um, <laughs> that's definitely not a Buick. There is a lot of controversy over exactly which car this is. Consensus is it is some sort of Plymouth. 
1959. And lots of people were saying Fury, but I also saw lots of counter arguments for, no, it can't be that. It has to be something else. I'm going with 1959 Plymouth Fury because 1958 Plymouth Fury is the Christine car. Oh, and you would know. So, and and that one, we know for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Stephen King was very clear. (laughs) He went to a lot of, do you think that if you, if you were to like see George Lucas, like on the street or at a convention or something, and you were to approach him, but then, and he's like, oh no, oh no. But then if you start hitting him with like, hey, what car gets back? Is that a, what, do you think he would almost be relieved? Do you think he'd be more inclined (laughs) to talk to you? Oh, thank God. Let's talk cars. Oh, great. It's one of those things, because I'm going off of the internet movie car database, which on the one hand is a great resource. It is infuriating for this film. And literally, (laughs) Nick, I've been doing this for weeks now. We're coming up on months. I just today realized they're in alphabetical order. Oh, great. No, So I, all the Fords are together, all the stu- like- That's very relatable. Yeah, for sure. Just, just realized that today. So they're not in order of the movie and all the photos are so goddamn dark. <laughs> Oh, really? Infuriating. Because it's just, it's not their fault. It's a dark movie. It takes place at night. I get that. (laughs) But when it isn't in timestamp order Mm -hmm. and you're trying to figure out, well, is this the car that I'm looking for this episode? It's kind of infuriating. Also, there's someone who comments on almost every single car for American Graffiti in French. Oh, There's someone who speaks French who obviously knows a lot, but I have no idea what they're saying. Isn't that weird? Those weird little worlds you find when you're like researching stuff on the internet. Yeah, it's a good time. And, and the the grunt that gets out, uh, speaking of things that I was researching on the internet that brought a smile to my face today, because this actor who's playing the grown up, I love that that's just Great, what I call yeah. him, is Charles Dorset or Chuck Dorset, uh, who is also the usher in the Angels in the Outfield remake that stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt as wow. a little kid. That's a, that's a long career. Yeah, he's doing quite well, especially since the other bit person in here only has a few roles, but that's right, okay. Right. Yeah, 1994. And none of them were big, but mm-hmm. I just, I saw that and I was like- Yeah, that was a childhood favorite. That was a good movie. Tony Danza. <laughs> and I actually rewatched it a couple years ago. I wrote for a pop culture blog and I talked about, this was the season uh, where Otani was going to be a two-way play, like, and Trout's on the Angels. And so I was talking mm. about like the modern Anaheim Angels versus- Like the equivalency, Yeah. The angels of that movie. And mm-hmm. I was very pleasantly surprised at what how much of it held up. Like, oh, good. Cool. There's some cheesiness, but it's also like, well, this is a Disney sports movie for kids. So <laughs> what did you expect? <laughs> there was like a, a cool like rush of movies like that when we were growing up. Like, God, what was it? What was the one called where he where the little kid played for like the Cubs? Oh, like was little... that one Rookie of the Year? Rookie of the Year, exactly. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So it's <laughs> Shout out to sports movie man. Shout out to sports nineties movies. Maybe they'll maybe they'll do Angels on the Outfield, and I can beg to be on that uh, season. There you go. Yeah. So very of the you know we're talking about our generation and the things for us. American Graffiti really was a love letter to this generation. Sure. Toad in this his his goodbye lines. I don't know what they're actually called. (laughs) His sign offs. His get out of the scenes are Mm -hmm. truly epic. In yeah. this little scene. In this first one where he's like, well, God damn it, I won't report you this time. <laughs> yeah, Toad's Toad's a really great character. Just seeing, he, I don't know, just seeing the world knock him around, but he, he always finds a way to keep the night going. It's one of my favorite, I think, like subplots of the movie. Yeah, I think I related too much 
to Terry the Toad sometimes oh, to absolutely. really embrace him truly. Sure. And I did always have the like, oh, I just want to be care. Like, I just need to get in the right car. <laughs> Right. And everything will if be I, fine. If this one thing can happen, then I can finally like relax or like be a be a normal teenager or like cruise, you know? And just heads up if we do have any teenagers listening to this podcast, A, you're very cool. And B, <sighs> there is no mad magic like <laughs> Yeah, I think that's kind of the thing that I appreciate the most as I get older is when I watch American Graffiti now, I see myself in like multiple people at once, you know, Mm. where I'm like, oh, I I was definitely a little bit of Richard Dreyfuss in this, but I was also like relate to Toad a lot in this because I remember feeling that, you know, frustrated and or even, yeah, Ron Howard. Yeah, we're a little bit of everybody back then, but there's so much like posturing that goes into being a teenager. Oh, yes. One thing that I have in common with Terry the Toad is the pure panic on his face when the salesman comes down to him. (laughs) I've like feared buying a car to the point where I actually used Carvana (laughs) when I bought a car. Oh, yeah. And my, the grownups in my life were horrified. My parents, my aunt were just like, you can't buy a car online. I'm like, yeah, you can. No, you got to get, you got to get like swindled by a guy. That's the rules. but that that involves a lot of trust. I'm like, what do you think buying a car in any situation involves? That's so interesting. And this yeah. way I don't have to talk to anyone. Yeah. That's that, that's kind of, I don't know, like like little, little moments like that in this movie to me, just like yelling at someone from across a car and like that was how you would socialize and get information about where the party was, you know? Mm-hmm. So after his accident, Toad pulls away, goes down. Uh, this actually is a side street. So here's where I went down the rabbit hole, Nick, just a heads up, because in the director's commentary, George Lucas very clearly describes how they filmed in two cities in California for this. And that's because they were supposed to film all in San Rafael. And after the first night, the city was like, uh, JK, bye. (laughs) Oh, wow. And Lucas was able to find another town and film most of those things. And that's great. But he basically was like, look, I got to get some more shots on that main street. And it's got to be that street because that's like the main drag that they go down. Sure, sure. So he came back for a second night of, he only had two nights there. And at one point on that second night, there was a five alarm fire on the main street. Oh, whoa. (laughs) And so they were like, oh God, well, we can only lose so much time. So they went onto the side streets and he he says that this giant chair is real. They were driving around <laughs> the side streets, saw this, and were like, that. We, where could we use that in the movie? That's great. And so that's how this came. I mean, he was always going, Toad was always going to have this interaction with a salesman to like <laughs> kind of wrap up this accident scene. But it was just a normal, like, the guy comes out of the storefront sort of thing. That's and so, then yeah. Lucas saw this chair and was like, oh my God, yes. Now, why this sent me down in a rabbit hole is because oh. <laughs> on the building behind this chair, it has an address. Oh yeah? Of a street that I cannot find in San Rafael. California. And then I started Googling different iterations of giant chair used cars and like, because you'd think this would be a, you know, not like a national monument, but if you, you'd think if you went looking for this. Right. There'd be like a little sign or a plaque or something. Yes. There even is a little car museum in San Rafael, California that includes like a big boy burger boy thing i'm from the east coast i'm so sorry big boy burger yeah so like (laughs) they they have stuff 
in addition to the cars. And you'd think if this lot no longer existed, that is the sort of thing that someone would have grabbed and been like, hey, I've got the giant chair. From the most famous car movie ever. (laughs) And I could not find it. I couldn't find it. I'm literally pulling up the map and I found the main street, the um, uh, 9th street. Oh. And I'm literally like looking at the streets that go off the sides trying to find it. And I could not find this exact location. Now, George Lucas has no reason to lie to me. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, but it's one of those things like doing these podcasts will mess with you. Yeah. Like it makes me wish I knew more about like things like city ordinances or like the idea of like streets or addresses being like reformatted or renamed. Like does that happen? Did Fletcher Boulevard get renamed sometime between 1972 and today? (laughs) I guess that's the next stage of the mystery. Yeah. So it made me wish there wasn't an address on the bill. Like, why would <laughs> you give me worse. that information and yeah. then not let me use it? To see a thread is, is, is almost worse. Then I'm trying to, like, make out the name on it because there's the name painted on this pickup truck that's behind them, but it, that's also on the big sign. That I could see being something put in by Lucas Balls. They had no money. That's a big sign to make. Yeah, that's... I don't know. Everything you're saying, all these stories are just so fun for me because like for me, when I, you know, George Lucas, I think of like a green screen and like Mm -hmm. everything is so perfect and exactly the way he wants and there's no conflict and there's no like person telling him he can't do X. And, yeah. and so we lose bits of inspiration and like just the universe, you know what I mean? Like with this movie, I'm like, ah, that's so cool to almost, yeah, I think that makes cool stuff happen, that friction. Yeah. He uh, referred to this, to American Graffiti as guerrilla filmmaking. Sure. This is still, and actually, ori- so his original plan was to shoot it in 16 millimeter like a documentary. Right. And then literally everyone was like, you can't do that. And he's like, well, I'm still going to make it look gritty. And then. You know, is it Haskell Wexler was like, no, you're not. <laughs> Here's some lights. <laughs> we need to light this up. <laughs> yeah, it was looking like disgusting and gringy, like Moss Eisley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's encouraging to know that like indie film boys were always like, I want to shoot this in 16 millimeter. Like it's a documentary <laughs> forever. Yeah, they've always been like this, apparently. <laughs> So the actor up on this giant chair is John Brent. I got excited because he's originally from Madison, Connecticut. Uh, oh, cool. Another Connecticut person. And he is also in More American Graffiti as Ralph. So infamously, I've not seen that movie yet, but I'll keep an eye out for him. Apparently he's coming back. I don't know if it's as the same person and he just gets a name this time. Interesting. I don't think I knew that there was a sequel. It's not good. I can't imagine. Yeah. Doesn't help that I'd never heard of it. Does anybody else come back? Oh, a bunch of definitely Ron Howard. I'm assuming it's still Cindy Williams because I know it's Stephen Laurie. Uh, Charles Martin Smith is back. God damn it. We want to check it out more. Uh, There's a bunch of people back. It's like during Vietnam or something. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. It's Terry the Toad in Vietnam. And then it's Stephen Laurie in awful suburbia trapped in the marriage together. (laughs) Wow. So it's like after The Graduate. It's really not spoken of well. That's such a bold choice. I'm intrigued, but we'll we'll see. I haven't seen it. I've heard the soundtrack. Oh, cool. Still good music. But have you heard the soundtrack or have you just heard every song that's on the soundtrack? I have. My mom had the soundtrack oh, okay. on vinyl. So oh, cool. 
did. Yeah, that'll be a trip to do. Yeah. I think we're going to do like a roundup episode at the end. Because like when you watch the movie, you'll probably be like, oh my God, that was on the vinyl that I used to look at when I was a- And I was totally that kid who would like decorate my room with the record sleeve, the record covers and oh, cool. stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I, I was that kid. You know, we all have- <laughs> I wonder what kids' rooms look like now. I mean, I guess there's still like magazine, like p- people probably have like, you know, K-pop bands kids like on their walls and stuff yeah like do kids still buy magazines do they still make like collages you know i hope so that would really bum me out if kids aren't like making collages of their favorite shows and actors anymore yeah like i remember my cousin used to have this huge collage and it was just like all of the jackass guys and like johnny johnny (laughs) depp who just drove past my apartment as you can hear that's okay i made a dawson's creek collage that is still I could not bring myself. I got rid of like almost everything else from my like teenage room. But that one, I was just like, no. And it's literally, it's like, I cut out the um, advertisements from the TV guide. Yeah, yeah. On. They would always do the ads for that. And that's great. I was real proud of it. <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to throw it away. It's all on Netflix now, Dawson's Creek. Yeah. It just, oh, although wrong theme song. It's infuriating. Oh, weird. It's an iconic yeah. theme song. Yeah, they didn't bother to buy the rights to I Don't Want to Wait, apparently. They used the international, so the theme song that they used in other countries. That's so weird. And it's it's awful. Yeah, well, it's hard to beat I Don't Want to Wait. But literally at one point, she just starts going, a la la, ya ya, or I forget which one it is, but it's just syllables. She didn't even bother <laughs> writing a lyric for that line. It's just like, I need a line here for the to fit the melody. You just need noises. So I'll just make noises. Yeah. <laughs> That is for another time. I'm sure there is a Dawson's Creek recap show where they probably dedicated a very special episode just, oh, just yeah. to that betrayal. Let's see. What other notes do I have before possibly the greatest line delivery <laughs> ever? There, Like I said, there's that pickup behind him that belongs to him. Uh, so he tries to sell him a 1961 Chevrolet Corvette, which he says vet. So that was easy enough to <laughs> put together. I'm pretty sure that designation that I saw was to the brown one, but I think they're the same car. They look, I mean, I'm looking at lights, I'm looking at the grills and stuff like that. Like, I'm pretty sure it's the same car, just different color. So hopefully that still holds. And it makes sense. 61, this is 62. So yeah, it checks out. And mostly I just get very nervous around, not even car sales, like just pushy sales in general, which is hilarious because my (laughs) dad was in sales and Uh, I have like an allergic reaction to it. I really do think it's something that we could see phase out in our lifetime just because like you said, like I think people our age and younger just are like, no, I don't, why would I want to do that? I choose to opt out of this social exchange. (laughs) Yeah. I click some things on my phone and get the thing that I want. That's why I always love that Toad, as he gets in the car, just leave me alone for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I should just rec- get a recording of that in my phone so when a telemarketer calls me, I can just play that into the phone. Mm-hmm. It's a real, it should be like a reaction gif or something. Exactly, yes. And um, that is one of the many ad-libs in this movie. That is not part of- Oh, cool. Yeah, it, he was just supposed to get in the car. You know, there is like, now that you met, there is like the looseness and the improvisation and the humor that kind of- is what carries over and was like one of my favorite things about Star Wars when I was a kid mm. is even though it was this big whiz bang space opera, it felt like some of the lines were like, did he make that up? Or like <laughs> did that stormtrooper just hit his head on that window. <laughs> Boring conversation anyway, you know, stuff like that. Mm. 
And that's like, yeah, that's all in American Graffiti. Only let loose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like That's all of American Graffiti. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that comes out of his saying like, oh, I'm going to film it like a documentary. I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, not, they're not all teams, but he's casting as close to age as he can. Sure. Yeah. You know, they're... They're young enough. And I do like even the people that are older, like the guy playing John Milner is older than Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfus. But like mm-hmm. Harrison Ford that makes was like sense. 35. It feels right. <laughs> yeah. Charles Martin Smith, like talking on the behind the scenes making of, I think it's the making of documentary, is just hilarious because he was so frustrated because he's like, Lucas would just keep rolling and every mistake you made, you knew he was going to use that <laughs> That's so, man, it almost, like, that almost reminds me now of when you look at people like, like the Duplass brothers or, you know, like that kind of like mumblecore thing where you would, or not even that, we would just let the camera move and have people improv and just say stuff. But Mm -hmm. he was doing it back then. I will say it's not anywhere near this scene, but there is a point later in the director's commentary where George Lucas starts geeking out on which Italian movie inspired this camera angle and shot and it's so cute Great. it's very sweet to like watch him completely transform because the director's commentary was filmed you know i was saying he's older he's got the beard he's got the flannel the gray hair sure you know, the he, iconic lucas look that we all love yes, today he, seemed, he feels very you know one of the greats of the industry and it was so sweet to watch him just completely disintegrate into this like and this director is so cool and this camera angle is from this and it was like oh yeah. whenever <laughs> that's like, great like i love star wars but whenever I see him at any kind of Star Wars thing, he just seems kind of tired. <laughs> He's like, okay. Where, where is it? He talks about writing this movie and how it kind of happened by accident. That was not his plan to write this movie. Mm. And that's why he basically called Gloria Katz and Bill Hayek and was like, save me. <laughs> and so he says... You know, he has said multiple times, writing is not my favorite part of making movies. Not Mm. my forte. That's good. That's good to know about yourself. Yeah. But then also there's this really great scene um, talking about this where Harrison Ford is saying, uh, oh, I wrote it out. George is not actually fond of the shooting part of making movies. And then in my notes, I'm like, what part does this man like? (laughs) Given that he's one of the most famous filmmakers of all time, what does he like about doing this? Is it is it like editing? Well, yeah. I mean, and also can't be said enough. Like, I think I think I think Marshall Lewis's or Marshall Lucas's edit of this, like Star Wars, is a big reason of of why it feels cohesive and doesn't spill out over itself. You know. Oh, can I tell you? Oh, please, yeah. How pissed I am, and I'll leave it in. But listeners, this is only our eighth episode, and it's probably going to come up again because it made me very angry. So I watched the director's commentary of this. It's a video. It's like a little pop-up video of Lucas talking about it. And it's great. In the entire movie, including every part about editing, that man never says Marsha Lucas's name. Oh, wow. And I I get that that was a nasty, like, that's a shame. I, yeah, yeah. I, I've read about that divorce and it sounds awful and I can't imagine what either of that, but yeah. But he has erased her from history as yeah. far as he's concerned. And it pisses me off because Marshall Lucas is kind of important to your career, George. Yeah, it, it's, it's <laughs> you know, it, it, it's erasure kind of in the purest sense where people, you know, especially like young film geeks, yeah. dudes are like have this vision of history that isn't true to reality, you know, which is like your favorite movie, your two or your favorite movies would be a mess if it wasn't for this behind the scenes person. Yeah. And he's even talking, he's like, you know, at home and editing and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that wasn't you. That yeah. was her. <laughs> like, we know this. There are receipts for paychecks. Like, 
And, and like you said, the fact that this is older, he is older. Like, oh, really? This is still like a thing for you that you you can't. Yeah. It's, but I almost wonder if it's more just like he's convinced himself. Right. That with, like she never existed somehow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a bummer. It was very weird. And it's one of those like, I totally get like not wanting to talk about your ex-wife. But like when discussing the editing of this film that she edited. <laughs> Yeah, to acknowledge the, the fact that she he never even in passing never said we always I like mm-hmm. it was there was a choice somewhere made in his brain <laughs> of switching into the yeah it's a real bummer if you're a girl who maybe would have gone into like edit like yeah I always thought I wanted to be George Lucas and it's like oh but I could never do that and it's like god damn it maybe I could you know <laughs> it's like oh wow yeah. Here's this artist that did such great work and then just to be like cut out of the narrative for like Yeah. Like she never existed. Um, there was a really great quote and I feel awful. I cannot remember it was Catherine Piccolo or Kathleen Kennedy. <laughs> Their names both start so similarly. Um, talking about getting maybe it was Kathleen Kennedy, because she was saying, like, we're st- we're getting more women in film, but they're not becoming auteurs, you know? <laughs> or, sure. I mean, you wouldn't say that anymore, but like, wh- where are they? <laughs> I see what you mean. Yeah. I mean, like, well, just the other day, I was watching this video about, about Twilight, you know, like a, a retrospective about like the Twilight franchise. And you had Catherine Hardwick, who directed one of the biggest movies of that year on a small budget, huge profit. Like, why wasn't she getting Marvel movies after that? Or why wasn't she getting work after that? Yeah. Or yeah, I mean, you look at, uh, I read this really interesting story about Patty Jenkins, where she turned down directing uh, Thor 2 because she could smell that it wasn't going to work. And she says, look, there's a difference between me directing this and a guy directing this. She's like, She's like, I, if I'm attached to this and it bombs, like I have a feeling that it's going to through no fault of my own, I won't get work. But like, dude, the directed Game of Thrones, he directed a Terminator movie after that. Yeah, it's, and it's so funny because I am very wanted to be in this high school, like grew up worshiping at the altar of Steven Spielberg and always Harrison Ford in this movie. I'll see it. I don't care what it is. (laughs) Like, and it's. It's kind of a bummer when you get older and you're like, oh, you know, like, I want to go back and be like, hey, tiny Tierney, shift your eyes ever so slightly to the left. Right. Carrie Fisher, (laughs) worship her. Yeah. Instead. Definitely. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's really valid. Yeah. Of, of kind of these people that you're almost kind of told to idolize. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Because I felt the same way where I'm like, oh, I guess these are the guys and, you know, I'll I'll have to study what every part of their lives. And then you're like, oh, these were just flawed dudes that were (laughs) kind of selfish and kind of immature and kind of impatient. Yeah. And there is part of me uh, having studied how Close Encounters got made and all that stuff where it's like, well, maybe there is a level of success where you need to be that selfish. Sure. It it stops being a character flaw and starts being an asset. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then that goes back to just like what we teach girls and women or and also from, you know, being a guy, what we're taught to like admire and resent in women where things like having an ego to be like, no, we're doing this because this is my vision where it's like, oh, he's a genius, but like she's difficult to work with, you know? Yeah. I do not have a perfect pivot to talking about the song, but I have a pretty great one of lately, once again, going around Twitter. And this isn't going to come out till the summer, but let's face it, this will come around again, is the age Nora Ephron was when she wrote her first screenplay and what age Nora Ephron was when all her successes came and how wonderful and fabulous she is. And the song Fannie Mae was 
sung, performed, all that stuff by Buster Brown. It was his first big hit. He was 48 years old. Wow. So you know what? Keep dreaming. Keep going for it. Do you think it's too late to start? No, it is not. (laughs) No, it's never too late. Because he was born in 1911, and this was a 1959 song. Wow. I do love, although it said citation needed in Wikipedia, I love that apparently no one's really sure if Buster Brown was his real name or not. (laughs) Great. Like, it sounds like a nickname, but there's no definite one way or another about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was adorable. And like I said, the lyrics really, even though it's singing about a girl, like, the lyrics do kind of work for Toad, if you're thinking of it that way. Like, mm-hmm. what's going on? What's what? Why is this happening to me? And the harmonica, which is apparently what Buster Brown was known for, is just perfect. I, I realized, like, the stress of the car salesman <laughs> and how fast he talking Mm -hmm. contrasted with just the pure relaxation cool driving alongness of the harmonica to this song was really like just really well done i think oh yeah i mean there's you could teach a whole class on this movie in terms of needle drops and how to orchestrate mood and also dissonance with like pop music of, of of like you said like the harmonica is countering the guys talking and it's like how in the weeds was lucas when he picked these pop songs to play over which moments yeah the screenplay was written to uh lucas grabbed his sister's collection of 45s and started there great who knows how much to each one i do know originally he wanted to include elvis and it was just too expensive so (laughs) but the script i have is past that point where i guess he knew he wasn't getting all this so i don't know yeah, just a really interesting, and I think it's so funny because I am definitely one of those writers that's like, I must make a playlist. Sure, <laughs> for me too. every prod. Yeah. Sometimes each character needs their own playlist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I know you've done some writing too, so uh, I hope I have not. I hope this has been more inspirational than a bummer. <laughs> oh no, no, I'm the same way. Where like every every time I've like I start a new project, I can like lose myself with like finding songs and then like okay is this for this character is this about both of these characters mm-hmm. and it kind of it really helps me find like mood and sometimes I can even get start to hear the voice coming out of like oh that's interesting I picked all these songs these all kind of have this in common that I didn't think about before I had a really fun time I kind of cheated no I didn't cheat it's totally legal and <laughs> I know because I've checked um I wrote a book and all the chapter titles are song titles oh cool Because I'm not quoting the lyrics, so I don't have to pay for the rights. I'm just saying that there is a song with this name. That doesn't count. (laughs) If anything, I'm advertising for these bands, so. There you go, yeah. They can back up off me. But yeah, that was probably the best playlist I've made, because I literally was like, well, this is easy. So I guess, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about in American Graffiti? No, I just, I, I had a lot of fun watching it. Like, again, like, I, I love Star Wars, and but, like, there is kind of, like, a, a bit of melancholy of, like, wow, I wonder how many of these George Lucas had in him. But like but like you kind of mentioned earlier, he doesn't seem to enjoy the, uh, the act of filmmaking. <laughs> so maybe everything worked out. Yeah, everything worked out. It was <laughs> fine. I think it was Coppola who basically challenged him, like, write the opposite of thx1138 please (laughs) let's see what that movie looks like and this is what it looked like fair enough yeah (laughs) well if people have more they want to talk about about american graffiti we are on social media if you're looking on twitter and instagram look for the handle vcr privileges all one word that is a podcast series where every summer we deep dive into one of these movies 
and this summer it's American Graffiti. And on Facebook, we have a listeners group called Mel's Listeners Drive-In. <laughs> nice. So that's where you can find us. And where can people find you, Nick? And I mean in the way of the internet, please do not give out your address. <laughs> yeah. Doinggenre.com slash support is our Patreon page. And yeah, for as little as $3 a month, $5 a month, you, you get access to hundreds and hundreds of podcasts that we've recorded over the years. And they're all evergreen. Like we try to make them the where you could listen to them in 2021 and enjoy them, even if it was like from 2016 or something. We're always making new stuff. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Stitcher doing genre. And they just look that up on Twitter and you can find us there on Instagram. And yeah, that's where you can find a lot of the podcasts that I do. Nice. Dueling Chandra is a nice mix of like movies by minutes, superheroes, but also this. Yeah, we try to cover our bases. It's really fun. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Nick, we're going to let you drive off. <laughs> we will leave you alone for God's sake. And, uh, but I will be back tomorrow with more. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. He's really fast, isn't he?